starting in verse 5, he says, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. When he's talking about education, when he's talking about knowledge and gaining information, insight, perception, wisdom, when he's talking about that, he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's just the beginning. You can get all kinds of practical science uh, knowledge in your head going to, to college and, and school, and you learn the facts of life and how things happen in the natural world and completely miss the fact that there's another dimension to this life. It's a spiritual dimension where God intervenes and God interacts with us and God steps in to answer prayers and give guidance and direction. We can, we can get all the education of the world and miss what's real because once you die, everything you learned about the world down here doesn't matter anymore. But once you die in the flesh, that's when what you learned in the spiritual dimension comes into full bloom as you enter into the presence of God. So we're looking at things that we should know, knowledge already, we should know. Here's number one, if you want to fill in the blank here on this one. Number one, we should know we have the mind of Christ. It's not a goal. It's not something we reach toward. We already have the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says, But he who is spiritual, how many of us here think, consider ourselves spiritual? I got my hand up. I consider myself spiritual. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now that obviously doesn't mean that I can, I can give information to God because my, my knowledge I have of him is very limited. He only shows himself bits and pieces of himself to me right? We only know a little bit. Spiritual people should be able to evaluate other people, a word we often use is judge. We should be able to look at other people and see other people through the eyes of Jesus because we have his mind. In other words, let me, let me bring this down. We, you and I, we typically make quick judgments of other people, don't we? By the the kind of car they drive, by the clothes they wear, the language they use, some of the poor choices they make. We, we make evaluations of other people. But we should be looking at other people through the eyes of Christ. In other words, he looks at me and he sees what I can become, not what I am. 
He looks at you and he doesn't see what you are. He sees what you can be. We should be looking at other people through those kind of eyes. What can this person be? Instead of saying, well, they're a loser. Look at the way they live their life. We should be able to, to, to say to ourselves, what could that person become if they were fully surrendered to Christ? If God was really working through them, what could they be? And then our response to them becomes altogether different. That's what Jesus did when he was down on this earth. He always looked at people as what they could be. He looked at the lame man as somebody who could walk. He looked at the blind man as somebody who could see. God help us to get that kind of vision inside of ourselves to see the people around us as what they could be and not just what they are. That God's at work developing all of us. But he said in that scripture we just read that we can appraise, evaluate other people because we have the mind of Christ, but nobody, nobody else can evaluate us because we have the mind of Christ. In other words, nobody really knows what's going on down inside of me. Nobody knows why I made that decision. Nobody knows why I took that action or I didn't take that action. Nobody knows. Because we are being led by the Spirit day by day. And the Spirit of God influences us. So to have the mind of Christ means we think like He thinks. And the only way to think like He thinks is to understand how He thinks. That's why we need to get into the Word. The Word helps us understand how God thinks because Jesus is His Son come in the flesh. So how did the Son behave? He behaves based on His Father. Okay, that's the first one. We should know we already have the mind of Christ. Here's number two. We should know our body is God's dwelling place. I'm getting this from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, All of you surely know that you are God's temple and that His Spirit lives in you. You see, all the religions of the world have a, maybe not all, but most religions of the world, the mainline religions, they have a meeting place where people will come to connect with their God, make sacrifices, do whatever they do. In Christian circles, it's a cathedral or a church or a chapel, a meeting place. In, uh, in, for Muslims, it's a mosque. For Hindus, it's a temple. For Jews, they, they had synagogues that were scattered out in every community. Some communities had more than one synagogue. It was a, like a local church. It's where people would come together for teaching and, and encouragement. But for us in the New Covenant... God lives inside of us, not in a building someplace. We are the church. Now that's got some unique twist to it when you stop and think about it. Because God's meeting place looks different. I mean, look around here this morning. We got some folks that are older than others. Some other folks that are younger than others. We got males, we got females, all God's dwelling places. We got some that are highly educated, some barely squeak through high school. We are different 
But we are God's dwelling place. He li- and the same God lives inside of me that lives inside of you. And we are so diverse in ourselves. We have different interests. We have different things that motivate us and inspire us. We're different. And yet God chooses to live inside of this diverse group of people. It's amazing. I am the temple of God. God lives inside of my body. This physical body. Which is getting older if you haven't noticed. So the dwelling place of God can be young. It can be in the middle. It can be older. And God still lives there. Now this is the, this is the reverse thing that we typically don't see as it relates to the spirit and the flesh. We, we all have this idea that when we're, when we're young, we're the best looking we're ever going to be. We got more energy than we're ever going to have. We have dreams and goals and we haven't had reversals that give us doubt. But as we get older, we kind of go over the hill. And our bodies begin to lose that attraction. They begin to lose that energy that we had when we were younger. And so we tend to think we're of less value to God. Now in the world that may be true, but not in God's eyes. Because in God's eyes He sees maturity. And just because I crossed the middle point and I'm starting to go on the downhill side of my age, that doesn't mean I'm not still maturing. Maturity is having the fear of the Lord and knowing what to do with it. That's maturity. And the older you get, if you keep walking with the Lord, the more mature you get. The more understanding you have the more you realize the cost of the mistakes you've made so you don't want to make those mistakes anymore. I'm in a new covenant. God resides inside of me. We need to keep rolling that over in our minds and keep reminding ourselves that this body I am, that, that I have, that I possess, God's Spirit lives inside of it. What am I doing with the temple of God? Other people can't see God, but they can see the temple. So what are they seeing in the temple? I have some responsibility there. When our kids were little, we we taught them a Bible verse. And we taught them this in a little song. And because little kids like to sing, once they learn the song, they've learned the Bible verse and didn't even know it. And probably they didn't understand the depth of this verse, but it had great spiritual significance. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Did I do okay, Nina? Do we have that scripture back there? Can we put that up? I'm going to ask you to do something outside your comfort zone. I'm going to ask you to sing this with me. You got the words. Let's sing it. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Were we paying attention to what we were singing? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it's Christ that lives in me. It's not me anymore. I'm dead to my sin. It's Christ that lives in me. Bodily exercise profits little in the spirit. Now in the natural, we only have one temple. If we don't take care of that temple, it limits my ability to represent him in this world. We got to take care of this temple that we have. We have to take care of this body. So from that perspective, bodily exercise, if it extends your life a couple years, if it makes your mind a little clearer because you've been breathing a little deeper, getting that oxygen in there, if it helps you serve God, then bodily exercise has value, but not just in itself. So what are we going to do with this body? That's a question we all have to answer. Here's the third thing we should already know. We should know about infusing yeast. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 says, Stop being proud. Don't you know how a little yeast can spread through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast. Then you will be like fresh bread made without yeast, and that is what you are. Our Passover lamb is Christ who has already been sacrificed. And that last phrase fits in with what he said just before. I'll tell you how here in just a minute. He's using an example of what every woman in that culture would have understood. How to make bread. You make bread. You, you, you put the flour and you knead it and you work that till it becomes dough. And if you put a little bit of yeast in it, it doesn't take much. Just a little bit of yeast that gets infused in that dough. And then when you put the dough in the oven, a chemical reaction takes place. And that yeast begins to rise and swell and swells up. If you look at a slice of bread you might have had for breakfast this morning, you will see it's full of little air pockets. It heats up. It rises. And if you remember the scripture, he is likening pride to yeast that gets in the dough. And when it's, when it's in under pressure, the whole thing rises up. That pride affects everything. You and I have to be careful because pride is an attitude. And bad attitudes affect every aspect of our life. A bad attitude will affect our marriages. A bad attitude will affect our finances. A bad attitude will affect our friendships. It will affect our ministry. It will affect everything about us. We need to take that pride and clean it out, he says. So we're a fresh batch of dough. Jesus tells in Luke, and I don't remember exactly where, He tells this parable. He says, the kingdom of God is like a woman who took flour and made dough. And then he talks about a little bit of yeast in there. 
It's the same basic scenario. But in this account, he said, the kingdom of God is like a woman who took dough and put yeast in it. The kingdom of God needs to put good stuff into us, good attitudes in us. It needs to get worked down into the dough so that when we're under under pressure, it rises up. The good rises up, not the bad. So the last part of the scripture, he says, our Passover lamb, Christ our Passover lamb is already sacrificed for us. What he's saying is we don't have to go sacrifice ourselves for God. The sacrifice has already been presented. All I have to do is take ownership of it. I have to claim it. I have to buy into it. I have to make it mine. I have to understand Jesus Christ is my Passover lamb. He went to the cross died, paid the price for my sin, and that's why I can live free. That's why I'm a temple of God. That's why I represent Him on the earth. Amen? That's number three. Here's number four. We should know we run to win. There's some people that run for the fellowship. But he's telling us that we should run to win. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. He says, you know that many runners enter a race, and only one of them wins the prize. So run to win. Athletes work hard to win a crown that cannot last. But we do it for a crown that will last forever. It's an eternal reward that we're running the race for. So we're not running the race to fellowship with our brothers and sisters. That's what going to, going to church on Sunday would be. No, we run this Christian race with the intent to win. With the intent that when our life is finally over and we go through those pearly gates and stand before God, He's going to look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. That's what I want to hear. I hope that's a long way off. But I'm going to hear, I intend to hear it because I'm running the race to win. Remember the story of the hare and the tortoise running their race? And the hare was just so confident Look at that slow thing. I can outrun him any day. He was so confident that he could win the race, he dilly-dallied and played around and did things that weren't significant toward winning the race. He forgot he was in a race. And he got over here chatting with his friends, but the tortoise just kept plodding along. Slow but sure. He just kept creeping in the right direction. And the next thing he knew, the tortoise had crossed the line and the hare realized he lost the race. We run the race to win. We need to keep telling ourselves this. So we need to start the race with the end in mind. What do I hope to happen in the end? If I keep the end in mind when I start the race, I'm not going to get sidetracked like the hare along the way when problems arise, when things look, don't look so good. 
I need to keep my eyes on the goal. There was a professional baseball player known as the strikeout king. In his professional career, he struck out at bat 1,330 times. Now, how many think that's time to just give up and quit and walk out? But Babe Ruth was also known as the home run king because, and here's the lesson that we get from that. If you're going to be the home run king, if you're going to win the race, you're going to have to take some risks. Every time you're up at bat, you run the risk of striking out. But you also have the possibility of hitting a home run if you can connect with the ball. If Babe Ruth could connect with the ball, it was out of the park. So the goal of every opponent, uh, not, uh, what's the word? Every op opposing, every opposing pitcher was to try to keep him from hitting the ball. Because if he connected, it was gone. I think that's a good lesson for all of us about taking risks. And yes, we might strike out a few times in the race, but our goal is to win the race. So we're going to get back up to bat again. We're going to take another swing again. We're coming up for another inning. We're not quitting because our reward is eternal. It goes on forever. It applies when we get to heaven. All right, I got one more of these. Number five. We should know our knowledge, no matter how much you get, is limited. All our knowledge is limited. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 9 through 12. He says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Now notice that last phrase just as I also have been fully known. How much does God know about you? Every secret you've covered up from everybody else, God is fully aware. One of these days I'm going to know Him just like I am fully known. Just as He knows everything about me now, one of these days I'm going to understand everything about Him. And I would like to think I know everything about Him. I'm just beginning. We know in part. We prophesy in part. Spiritual gifts, wonderful as they are, are only partial. It will, won't, will not be complete until we enter the presence of God Himself. That's a ways away. Our knowledge is limited. Have you ever asked the question, why did God let that happen? It's because our knowledge is limited. Why does God permit evil? That's a question I'm going to ask him when I get to heaven because I still, even though there's some books out there, I still don't have that figured out. Why God allows bad things to happen to good, faithful people. I don't understand it. 
because my knowledge is limited. God has unlimited knowledge. He's got a reason for everything he does. But I'm only functioning in this little corner of the kingdom. And he only reveals to me what I need to know. So it's limited. When the perfect is come, then we won't, we won't have limited knowledge. So some have concluded that the Bible is that which is perfect. That we finally have the perfect word of God. My problem with that is, which version of the Bible is the perfect version? Because there's a lot of ideas out there. I also have a problem in that as far along as I am in understanding the Bible, there are still things in here I don't understand. Why would we call it perfect if it leaves mysteries for us that aren't explained? The fact of the matter is we just only have a limited amount of knowledge that God's given to us. And I get more knowledge. I gain knowledge as I go. That's the maturity process. You know, if, if uh, we would go over to Walmart or Home Depot and buy a fruit tree, you can do that right now. They still have some fruit trees. You buy a fruit tree and you can plant it in your backyard. But I'll tell you what, you can just give up on the idea of getting any fruit off that thing this fall. Because it's not mature. Just as a human being can't reproduce until it becomes mature, so a fruit tree cannot reproduce until it becomes mature. When it becomes mature, it's not a good time to transplant that tree. When it's young and pliable and resilient, that's the time to plant a fruit tree. And then you just have to wait there's a maturing process that the tree has to go through before it can produce fruit. And the same truth is so with us. When I was born again, I was full of excitement for God. But I didn't know much about Him. Because I was full of excitement, I sat under the teaching. I went, I went to revival meetings. I, I, I listened to cas uh, not, yeah, cassettes, teaching cassettes. Back, remember what a cassette is back in the olden days? I would listen to teaching from other people because I wanted to learn. I, I got involved in a junior Bible college that, that uh, I completed an associate's degree. I, wanted, I was just gleaning everything I could glean, but I still didn't know how to apply those things. It took years of maturity for me to learn how to apply what I was learning in the Word of God. And I still have a way to go because I'm not completely mature. I'm in the process. I'm in the process. And so are you. So don't judge me today because I've not reached maturity yet. And don't judge your brothers and sisters because they've not reached their maturity yet. We're all on the journey. We're on the race, but we haven't completed it yet. And the world does everything it can to pull us aside. And then, when we finally meet Him, all this partial will be done away, 
and I'll be fully known. And then I'm going to know everything about God and all my questions are going to be answered. And I don't think any of us are going to be in heaven scratching our heads and saying, I don't understand, I don't understand. We're going to completely understand once we get set free of the shackles of planet Earth and this physical body that so easily besets us. Once I get in the presence of God, that's, that's going to be good. Can you imagine what that's going to be like someday? Being in the presence of God, seeing the saints that have gone on before us, understanding everything that's a mystery now, what a day that will be. So the challenge for us is we need to run the race to win. If that's our purpose, to win the race, if that's our purpose, we won't get sidetracked by these things. And maturity will be a continual, ongoing process. But for most of us, the spiritual journey doesn't look so much like this as we mature, but a little more like this. Like the stock market chart, you know, <laughs> up and down. That's, that's how I mature. I have setbacks. Chuck Swindle uh, wrote a book called Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Back. That's our spiritual journey. If you understand that's the way it's supposed to be, that's the normal progression, that's how we normally mature, it's not so upsetting when we take the two steps back, when some negative thing happens, when something upsetting happens. But we need to keep our mind around this onward, forward progression, maturing and being more like Christ. Amen. Let's stand together. Those are the five things 1 Corinthians tells us that we should already know. Next week we're going to look at 2 Corinthians, and there's five things in there. I think it's five, four or five. In 1 Corinthians, I think it's four, now that I think about it, that he tells us we should already know, and, and we'll look at that. But I want to pray with us as we depart this place that we will be re-energized to run the race. I'll, I'll tell you this quick story because I got a minute or two here. I was uh, about eight, nine years ago, I ran a Fort for Fitness race. You know what that is? Uh, in the city of Fort Wayne, they, they got this 4K that you run. And I, uh, I had some uh, heart issues, so the doctor wanted me to work out. So I was working out, and I, I felt like I was in pretty good shape. So I went down to this race. And if you've ever run that, you know, they they put you in what they call a chute. They put you in these categories, and they put me way down at the end of the line. I don't know if it was my age, because I had to tell them how old I was. I don't know if that's why they put me way down. I was like two blocks from the starting point. <laughs> and the streets from curb to curb crowded with people. And I thought, this is going to take me a while to get around everybody. But my intent was I was going to see if I could win the race in my age category, because they had these different awards for different ages. I decided, I'm going to try that. And finally the pistol went off and everybody started going. I'll tell you what, I think half of those people went to walk. How do you get past everybody walking? I had to run up on the curb to get around people. And uh, I was doing pretty good. I, I tell you, for about three quarters of the race, I was passing people left and right. I was feeling so good about myself. I was 
going, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I got a good chance. If I just keep up this stamina, just keep going, keep plodding along, I think I might be able to win uh, for my age, age group. This is pretty cool. And I was about three quarters of the way through, and this, this guy must have been 85, <laughs> come roaring up from behind me, past me, and I thought, give it up, no way. I'll run for the fellowship. I'll run for my own, my own health. Give up, give up the idea of winning the prize. And I completed it. And that's what it was all about, you know, really. Completing it. Feeling like I had accomplished a goal. That I had, this was my goal. And, and I completed it. But I think we need to not race competitively with our brothers and sisters. I think we just need to focus on completing my own race. Not getting sidetracked in my race. And God's not in a big hurry. Have you noticed that about him? Yep. Not in a big hurry. He's patient as can be. And he's patient with you. Run the race to win. One of the things you can do, uh, one of the things we all need to do is have this, this empowering of the Holy Spirit, this infusion of the Holy Spirit down inside of us. And if, if you're here today and you feel like you don't have that, um, as soon as we're finished with what we're doing, I'm going to meet, let's say, right over here in front of this section. I'll meet there. Anyone that would like me to lay hands on you, to impart something that I have into you, uh, this, the measure of the Spirit that I have into you, uh, I will pray with you to receive that, the Holy Spirit, immersion, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like that, that's where I'm going to be, right over there. And I'll be glad to lay hands on you and pray for you. And I think something's going to happen and be a breakthrough in your life. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. Father, help us to win this race, our race, the race you put us in. Help us to not just go through the motions, but help us to do it with the end in mind to win for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Go with God. He loves you more than you'll ever know.